Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, the Supreme Court hands down major rulings affecting everything from student debt to affirmative action and college admissions. This is not a normal court. Let's judge people on their merits. Travel woes at the nation's airports. Be prepared for Anything to go bad and be thrilled when everything goes perfectly. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, a study detailing the root causes of homelessness and a personal story. During my stint of homelessness, I was also navigating my mother through her homelessness and medical care. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. Controversy ensues in the nation over a series of Supreme Court decisions beginning with its Thursday ruling gutting affirmative action in university admissions. The ruling came over a lawsuit against Harvard University and the University of North Carolina and overturns decades of precedent protecting the use of race as one factor colleges could use to pursue diverse student bodies. This Harvard University student says... I think the idea that our our society like can be colorblind is a silly one. But the organization that brought the case argues ending racial preferences in college admissions is an outcome that the vast majority of all Americans of all races will celebrate. More now from CBS's Major Garrett. This ruling reverses history of precedent and policies more so than anything that the court has done since reversing Roe versus Wade last summer. Former President Trump, who appointed three justices to this court, called the ruling a great day for America. Meanwhile, outraged Democrats described the decision as a fateful step backwards. We won't go back! We won't go back! Outside the Supreme Court, students and civil rights leaders protested Thursday's historic ruling to throw out race-based affirmative action. Good afternoon, folks. The White House, President Biden slammed the court's conservative majority. This is not a normal court. Still, the Supreme Court's decision was widely praised by Republicans, including many 2024 presidential hopefuls. Let's judge people on their merits. Let's make sure that all admissions are based on academic scores. Writing for the majority, Chief Justice John Roberts said admissions policies at Harvard University and the University of North Carolina violated the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Roberts wrote that universities have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. In a scathing dissent, Justice Sonia Sotomayor accused the court majority of rolling back decades of precedent and momentous progress, writing, Despite the court's unjustified exercise of power, the opinion today will serve only to highlight the court's own impotence in the face of an America whose cries for equality resound. 
The decision also exposed deep personal and ideological divisions within the court. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman to serve on the high court, wrote in her dissent that deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. Clarence Thomas responded, quote, Justice Jackson uses her broad observations about statistical relationships between race and select measures of health, wealth, and well-being to label all blacks as victims. A university doesn't have real diversity when it simply assembles students who look different. Edward Bloom, president of Students for Fair Admissions, brought the case on behalf of students like Calvin Yang, who was denied admission to Harvard. It is my hope to see a renewed college admission system that recognizes and rewards the multifaceted talents and diverse perspective that each individual can bring. But UNC student and president of the UNC Young Democrats, T.J. White, says this is a huge setback for students of color like himself. I'm worried about the impact this will have on the next generation of black and brown students. Uh, who are just as smart, um, just as capable uh, as, as white students uh, and privileged students, um, but don't have um, the assistance that, that I was given. The advocacy group, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, filed two amicus briefs supporting the universities, and Marita Edkubanez says the ruling will hurt that community. Diversity benefits everyone, including Asian Americans. There is a strong and vocal minority, however, of Asian Americans that oppose affirmative action. The majority of our community understands the value of affirmative action and supports it. Our 2022 Asian American Voter Survey found that 69% of Asian Americans support affirmative action. And, you know, I think one of the things that's the most disappointing about this opinion from the court is that it seems to come from an alternate reality from that that most of us live in. Racism is still very much with us, and we need to use all tools to be able to address, talk about race and address racism. Friday, in a 6-3 ruling, the nation's high court struck down the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness program, affecting tens of millions. CBS's Natalie Brand. I am disappointed, to say the least, in the Supreme Court's ruling. Protesters gathered at the Supreme Court Friday, rallying against the justices' opinion on President Biden's student debt relief program. The high court threw out the plan to forgive up to $20,000 in student loans for millions of Americans. Student debt cancellation is legal and it is just no matter what the Supreme Court says. The case was brought by Republican attorneys general who argued the plan exceeded the president's authority. The administration had argued it had the power to act during national emergencies such as the coronavirus pandemic. CBS News legal analyst Dane Rosenbaum. The scope of the student debt forgiveness that the Biden administration tried to achieve here was, in the court's opinion, another example of the president overreaching his authority by allowing his education department to override Congress's power over the purse. Remember, last year, the Supreme Court struck down other examples of what they saw as overreach. For instance, the moratorium on rental evictions under the authority of the CDC responding to the pandemic. CBS's Christina Ruffini.
the biggest borrowers, um, of, the biggest holders of student debt are black women. And black women voted overwhelmingly for President Biden. This was one of the things he wanted to do for his constituents, for these people who helped get him in office. So as we heard from the White House, the fight isn't over yet. But as we've seen with this administration, with a split Congress and with a conservative court, it is increasingly difficult for the Biden administration to take executive actions to try to make policy when it keeps getting bounced back by the guys in that big building a little bit down the road. Also, the court ruled in favor of a Colorado web designer who sued over a state anti-discrimination law, saying it violated her right to refuse to work on same-sex marriages. CBS News legal contributor Lori Levinson. From the majority's perspective, the First Amendment does not allow a state to coerce an individual to produce speech they don't believe in. In a strong dissent, Justice Sotomayor says you're creating a second-class citizenry. LBGDQ people have sought to have their rights, and those rights have been recognized in other Supreme Court cases. Coming up, the travails of holiday travel. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got rocket money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. If you are traveling this weekend ahead of the July 4th holiday, you'd better bring a good book and a positive attitude. CBS's Chris Van Cleve. By land and by air, Americans are showing their independence by being on the move for the holiday weekend. A potentially record rush out of town. Denise Morales is leaving Phoenix for a European vacation. I am excited. I've been waiting a long time to go on this trip, so it's like exciting that like four years later it's finally happening. AAA expects 43.2 million will drive up 2.4% from last year, an increase helped by gas prices that are more than $1.30 lower on average than this time last year. Uh, we're saving it. <laughs> yeah, happy to save as much money as we can anytime. Have a great Thank flight. You, the number of people flying for the fourth is expected to surge 11% over 2022. Be prepared for anything to go bad and be thrilled when everything goes perfectly. Airline industry uh, analyst Henry Hartevelt recommends picking the airline with the most options to where you're going. Take a nonstop flight if it's available and in your budget and try to take the first available flight of the day. Those are generally less susceptible to delays. The TSA expects to screen nearly 18 million over the next week. What would you tell flyers to reduce their risk of disruption to their plans? Yeah, I tell them just a little preparation goes a long way. TSA Administrator David Pekoski. First thing we're going to ask you for is your identity. So have that ready. That starts things off on the right foot. The other thing that we see oftentimes is um, people have a lot of things in their pockets. United CEO Scott Kirby offered this suggestion. 
be patient with everyone uh, and, and try to be nice to all your fellow travelers. All of us are going to do our best to, to get you there on time uh, and with your bags. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Phoenix. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger says people should also watch out for scams as they plan their trips. Travel fraud is one of the biggest money makers for criminals, and they often start with an old scheme, luring you with a free vacation. Many of these fake offers are light on details, and the promoter often rushes you to make a quick decision. A huge red flag is when someone asks you to pay by wire transfer, gift card, or crypto. If you send money to a scammer this way, it's almost impossible to get it back. If you're planning an overseas trip, you may see sites offering to help with an international travel visa, passport, or other documents. They often charge high fees and are just copycats of the Department of State's website. Avoid the fees by going directly to travel.state.gov. And if you're buying travel insurance, go to USTIA.org. That's the website for the U.S. Travel Insurance Association. Verify that the agency is licensed. Finally, if you fall victim to a travel scam, report it to the Federal Trade Commission at reportfraud.ftc.gov. In New York, I'm CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. A Florida jury Thursday found a former sheriff's deputy not guilty for failing to act during that mass shooting in Parkland, Florida in 2018. The defendant is not guilty. Former Florida sheriff's deputy Scott Peterson visibly shook as the jury in his trial cleared him of charges including felony child neglect, culpable negligence and perjury. Peterson's friends, family, and legal team celebrated the verdict. And moments later, he told the press, quote, I've got my life back. The only person to blame was that monster. Peterson, who could have faced nearly 100 years in prison if convicted, placed sole blame on the gunman for the 2018 Parkland shooting. Three adults and 14 teenagers were killed. Prosecutors had argued that Peterson, who was the only armed school resource officer on duty that day, ignored his training to confront the gunman. Instead, he remained outside the building for more than 40 minutes. Peterson's attorney said he could not tell where the shots were coming from. Sadly, we don't understand how people haven't been held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. Tony Montalto, whose daughter Gina died in the shooting, said he was extremely disappointed by the verdict. The system failed. And Manuel Oliver, whose son Joaquin was also killed, called Peterson's acquittal offensive. They were kind of in the middle of a celebration of what happened today, not showing any respect for what happened five years ago. Despite Thursday's not guilty verdict, CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman says the fact there even was a trial may set a new precedent. To school safety officers in general, the message went out loud and clear. If they do not do everything they can and run toward danger, then they may be prosecuted. A dramatic arrest in the nation's capital of a man who allegedly threatened to blow up former President Obama's home. CBS's Jeff Begay's reports the suspect was also involved with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. On Thursday, a man wanted by the FBI was arrested after being chased down running toward former President Obama's Washington home. According to D.C. police, the suspect is 37-year-old Taylor Toronto. He was arrested and charged 
for being a fugitive from justice relating to an outstanding arrest warrant connected to the January 6th attack. Police searched his van, adorned with the words Patriots win, near the Obama's home. In it, police say they found multiple weapons and materials that could be used to build explosive devices. Anytime you have an individual who has apparently the materials to make Molokov cocktails or explosive devices and firearms, and he's in close proximity to uh, a former president and a protectee of the Secret Service, that's certainly troubling. Duranto is also being sued by the widow of D.C. police officer Jeffrey Smith. Smith took his own life days after suffering a concussion on January 6th. It was ruled that he died in the line of duty. He characterized January 6th as the worst day of his life. In the civil suit, the widow's lawyers allege that Taranto handed a cane or crowbar to another man and that they targeted Officer Smith because his visor was in the upright position, making him more vulnerable. Taranto has denied the allegations. His arrest comes almost two and a half years after the insurrection. It tells you that the January 6th threat is you know, still alive to some degree. A senior law enforcement official says even though the suspect is from Washington state, he'd been here in D.C. for several months. He was spotted living out of that conversion van near the D.C. jail where many January 6th defendants are being held. Looking to say so long to a favorite action hero? Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Lots of people will head to the movies to see 80-year-old Harrison Ford in the fifth and final installment of the Indiana Jones series, Dial of Destiny. The reviews? USA Today says the two-and-a-half-hour film is anticlimactic, but a solid adventure. More than four decades after the 1981 original Raiders of the Lost Ark, the LA Times calls the AI spookily disorienting. The New York Post says the end credits were the best part. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Coming up, protest in Paris. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. In France, President Emmanuel Macron Friday condemned ongoing violence over the fatal police shooting of a 17-year-old teen of North African descent during a traffic stop earlier in the week. Hundreds have been arrested so far. Protesters launched fireworks at riot police in the suburbs of Paris, torched cars and set buildings on fire as thousands took to the streets for a third night in a row. Police responded in large numbers, with 40,000 deployed in an attempt to restore order. Demonstrators are accusing the police of racism and excessive force after a 17-year-old named Nael, of Algerian-Moroccan descent, was shot at close range by a police officer during a traffic stop. Police allege Nael refused to stop his car. He died from his wounds. The officer who shot Nael has apologized to the family. He's been placed under formal investigation for voluntary homicide. Nael's mother led a march on Thursday demanding justice for her son. Anti-racist activist Tracy Ledgy says these things happen when you're French but with foreign roots. We're not considered French. They only look at the color of our skin. Elaine Cobb, Paris. 
Friday, the United States rejoined UNESCO, the UN's economic, scientific, and cultural agency. UNESCO is known around the world for naming world heritage sites such as Yellowstone National Park, Egypt's pyramids, and India's Taj Mahal. But the U.S. membership has been on again, off again for decades as various administrations grapple with allegations of anti-Semitic bias. On Friday, the U.S. rejoined the agency, committing to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in arrears. Pamela Fox, CBS News, United Nations. The California Reparations Task Force Thursday presented its first-in-the-nation final report to lawmakers with recommendations that include cash payments and free college tuition, among other things. KCBS-TV's Tom Waite. Southern slaveholders brought the very first Africans to California 174 years ago. A few thousand of them forced to work during the gold rush. When California joined the Union as a free state soon after, slavery was outlawed. But discrimination and violence against black people and families did not end. 60% of Californians support some form of reparations in this country. This is the California Reparations Task Force Thursday announcing their historic two-year report, the first state in the nation to do it, among the goals of the members to decide how the state should acknowledge and compensate California's descendants of slaves. Often when I was asked, when I was writing it, people said, California? Why California? And the issue often is why not? Because slavery in this nation went across the entire nation. People didn't just remain in the South. And the policies and the laws of this nation affected every state and many places beyond the state. We spoke with the chairwoman of the committee, L.A.-based attorney Camila Moore, about some of the task force's recommendations. Um, In terms of the key recommendations that I personally uh, gravitate to um, is the creation of a new state agency that would continue the work of the task force, so to speak, provide ongoing uh, repertory justice services to descendants of slaves, provide oversight to existing state agencies. Um, Also, I'm in favor of cash payments, so I'm hoping that actually becomes a reality in the state. Our recommendations are not race-based. They're based on lineage. They're for descendants of slaves only. Here in Southern California, there have been individual examples of local governments trying to undo past injustices. Justice for Bruce's Beach! Last July, L.A. County returned Bruce's Beach to the Bruce family descendants. Charles and Willa Bruce purchased the Manhattan Beach land in 1912 and started a resort for other black families. They were harassed and threatened, and ultimately the city used bogus claims to seize the land. Today we are returning stolen land. And while the report goes into great detail on how black communities suffered in California because of institutional racism, the report also showcases black achievement in the face of adversity. Yes, you're going to see those specific laws and policies that have hindered the African-American community in our progress. However, you're also going to see in that report instances of black excellence, instances of where we share in great detail the contributions made to this state and to this country. And so it's an amazing document. There's an alarming public health crisis in the nation as hospitals deal with a shortage of 14 life-saving chemotherapy drugs. CBS Evening News anchor Nora O'Donnell. Carol Noon has an aggressive form of endometrial cancer. It's treatable, but there's no time to waste. Do you know if the drugs will be available for the rest of your treatment? No, no, there's no guarantee. The night before her second dose of chemo, the 61-year-old got a call from her doctor. The hospital 
ran out of her treatment. Thankfully, Noon got her dose a week later. So how has this complicated your recovery process? Well, you know, I think it's an emotional roller coaster. It's very frustrating to know that there's a standard of care in these two generic drugs and I can't get them. What did the doctor say when you asked, what does this delayed treatment mean for my prognosis? Oh my gosh, they're frustrated. We're just hoping there's going to be treatment available. Patients like Noon are given carboplatin and cisplatin, generic medications which are not profitable and few are made in America. Since the pandemic, the international supply chain has struggled. Making the issue dire right now, FDA inspectors found widespread problems at a factory in India that reportedly makes more than half of the U.S. supply of cisplatin. We had to uh, make some decisions about who we were going to prioritize during this difficult time. Oncologist Dr. Kerry Wisinski has never seen a shortage this serious. The question is, could people die because of this shortage? I think it all depends on how long it occurred. If we experienced a prolonged shortage of chemotherapy, then yes, I do think people could die. In response, the FDA temporarily began importing a Chinese chemo drug. But doctors say more needs to be done. Someday I'm going to die. I really would rather not die because these standard generic drugs weren't available to me. And I I can't imagine my family having that doubt. Was it the cancer or was it that there was not enough chemotherapy and it got rationed? We're going to stay in touch with Carol as she continues her treatment and we'll work for answers on this important story. I'm Nora O'Donnell for CBS News here in Washington. The CDC has signed off on a new RSV vaccine. WSB reporter Sabrina Cupid. In healthy adults and older children, RSV typically causes mild cold-like symptoms that go away. But it can be much more serious for older adults, especially those with underlying medical conditions like diabetes, chronic heart or lung disease. In fact, RSV causes as many as 160,000 hospitalizations each year for adults older than 65 and as many as 13,000 deaths. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, what you don't know about the nation's unhoused, and a very personal story from a woman who survived being homeless. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, where every week we discuss issues including race. This week, a study by the University of California, San Francisco, discusses how poverty is a driving force behind homelessness in the Golden State, but it's a national crisis. Sage Johnson, co-chair for one of the study's advisory boards, who was also with the Los Angeles LGBT Center, survived being unhoused. She says for most, it's about the rent. Yes, that is true. In the study, we found that people's monthly income did not match with their monthly rent. 
and that created a large enough wage discrepancy into where someone would have to possibly look into getting two or three jobs where someone may, may need to double or triple up in a residence or if they're not able to resolve in other means, unfortunately falling into homelessness. And I understand that you have actually lived this as a personal story. Tell, tell me about what happened with you and your mom, and I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. So my personal story is I'm born and raised here in Los Angeles. I've never left the county. And with that, my mother was became disabled when I was in my teens. And I began taking, well, I was like 11, but she became disabled when I was young. So I began to take care of her. She wasn't able to work. I wasn't really making an income until my later teens. And the more my mother became disabled, our relationship waned, unfortunately. And it got to the point where I just had to leave the household. While I tried to resolve, I would couch surf for some time until mom needed special care at home. Then I would go back. But due to the tension at home, it was just a back and forth of couch surfing for peace of mind versus staying at home with no peace of mind whatsoever. And it got to the point where I just left home ultimately. But that wasn't a choice that I wanted to make first, second or third time. But it was something that had to be done for my own preservation. And then your mom ended up in a convalescent home, right, because of her issues. But you've said at least she was inside. Yes. So once I entered into the homeless system at the age of 20, three months later, my mama got evicted from her apartment and she began living in her car for a short period of time. And then she ended up on Skid Row for a short period of time. While I'm over here trying to navigate the young adult homeless system, my mom was becoming lost in the general adult homeless system where there's way more people who are in immediate need. So she was becoming a number. But me having had experience as being her in-home supportive worker, I realized like if I can have her access the medical system, then at least they could probably put her in a convalescent facility. So during my stint of homelessness, I was also navigating my mother through her homelessness and medical care from a distance because I couldn't like put my bed up for risk, but also needed to make sure that she was taken care of. So after a year of her being unhoused, I was able to get her into a facility where she stayed up until the time of her passing. And I must note for our listeners who can't see you, you are a Black woman. And the study found that Black people made up 26% of the homeless population. And Black people, and particularly Black women, are hugely at risk, right? Yes. Me and my Black mama, yes. (laughs) Yes, we were. Um, Our needs are often not met with competence. We We are often overlooked in the system, and we're often marking the system, I can speak as this, as being a service provider for my peers and for unhoused young adults, I can see that Black folks are often marked as being hard to work with, not easy to work with. They're not able to help resolve because culturally, if someone is upset for the day, they want to label them as angry in their profile. And being angry in your profile does not help with another service provider who may want to take you on as a caseload in your next transition of the homeless system. So it's things like that that make it being Black in the system very hard. And then being a Black woman in the system is the same as being a Black woman in America. You're the last to be considered, but the first to be blamed for things. And I know that the LGBTQ community is also much at risk of homelessness, again, especially those of color. 
Yes, according to the Trevor Project, 40% of LGBTQ young people are unhoused, and this is the population that I work with on my day-to-day job, and we see that there is a lot of background support that is missing from young folks. We're seeing that there is a lack of family support. There's a lack of mental health support. There is a lack of financial support. And as a young person, you do not have enough life experience in order to not become homeless. You don't have enough, like you don't have a 401k yet. You haven't built too many network connections to be able to just go live with a college roommate that you know from 15 years back. So when we are working with young adults and LGBTQ young adults, we are not only addressing the fact that they are a young adult without supportive services. We're also addressing the fact that they are LG, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and allies. We have to address those specific needs as well. And unfortunately, sometimes shelters either do not want to accommodate LGBTQ folks or they're like, look, we're going to pass on to the next people that can I wonder what you think is the biggest misconception that people have about the unhoused, because I've spoken to people who are kind of like, well, why don't they just go get jobs? Why don't they just, you know, go live with family? And that's not always possible, right? Correct. That is not always possible. A lot of the things that I've been told when I was unhoused, I want to speak from my experience first, is that why can't I live with family? Why wouldn't family accept my mother to live with them? I, I could have been fine in a shelter, but I asked for family members to assist my mother to make sure that she was still inside and being looked after because she was disabled. And they were like, no, we don't have the space to do it. Or no, we just don't want to deal with that. And then from the other side, I was like, well, why don't you go get a job? This is at the time when the job market went fully into online applications and not just a you can show up with your resume and expect to be hired on the spot. No, this was, I need to have consistent access to my email. I need consistent access to a phone, which wasn't always the case in order to follow up with job leads and be able to be presentable. And I'm fortunate. I lived in a shelter, so I had access to a bed to get some rest. I had access to a shower so I don't appear disheveled and I was well-groomed. But there are many people who are not as fortunate as I that make the best that they can. But it comes time where if there's complaints about hygiene, if there's complaints about this person isn't alert because they're falling asleep during their shift, we need to take into account a bed inside of a home, inside of an apartment is one of the things that constantly refuel that constantly refuels us to appear at least a little bit presentable for a job. So if we have someone who is unhoused missing that main factor, why do we keep trying to set them up to this high standard of expectation? Well, quite frankly, we're over here pushing them to fail over and over. So this is when the workforce development needs to come into play. That is homeless person competent. What do you want people to learn from this report? Who see it? What what bug should be in their ear? Yes, I believe what bug should be in people's ears. Excuse me, because I do have my notes. Because <laughs> it's a little doozy. Um, I have some key points. First is, this is the perfect time to have a roommate. It's better to have a roommate than enter into the homeless system and become part of a case. And I'll get on that in a moment. Two, create your own opportunities. If you feel that the community you reside in is no longer beneficial to you, please move. That can be to another apartment, that can be to another county, or it can be to a state with a lower cost of living. 
This is important because once you enter into the homeless system, you are no longer on your own personal timeline. Your personal goals and everything get pushed aside because you are now in survival mode. You now have to abide by the system's vacancies and where you are prioritized. You become a number in the system. Point three, for my people who are currently in the system, please utilize every resource that you qualify for. Ask for a case manager. Do not do this alone. Do not be afraid to ask questions and do not be afraid to speak up for yourself. This is your life and you only have one life to live. You can go to your local church or faith-based organization. You can check in with your local library. Libraries now around LA County are popping up with homeless outreach services coming in to talk to people about any resources they may need. Or contact your local homeless shelter directly and ask about prevention and diversion assistance in, in case you're on the fence of becoming unhoused. That's Sage Johnson with the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Coming up, a very familiar scream. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Thanks to a program expansion, more prison inmates will now have a chance at getting college degrees. CBS's Steve Kathan with more. Free college paid for by the government. Who wouldn't want that? Thousands of people behind bars are getting it, and more will now thanks to an expansion of the Pell Grant program in prison by $130 million a year. He has something that once he comes out, he can actually give back to the community. That woman says in a prison fellowship video that college for her son in prison has been important. New rules changes overturned a 1994 ban on Pell Grants for prisoners, opening new pathways to degrees and jobs once they're free. Steve Kathan, CBS News. In Fargo, North Dakota, an enterprising kid with his eye on the prize. KXJBLD's Alex Larson with the story. And then after we're done with the, along here, we're going to move down there. 12-year-old Alex sees a lot of green. And not just in the lawns he cares for. Most definitely, I call myself a businessman. <laughs> Alex started Alex's Mowing Company. And I decided that I just wanted to do it, and I did it. And the grass is always greener when you can work with your best friends, who double as employees. Just said, do you want to join my mowing company? I said, yeah, sure. Gary knows money doesn't grow on trees or in the weeds they pick. I'll get that later. But he has an idea of what he wants to spend his hard-earned cash on. I don't remember the type of car anymore. It's a type of Mustang, I could say that. Thank you. The busy schedule has not gotten in the way of their friendship. Has he been a tough boss? No. I'd say I've been a pretty good boss. <laughs> the challenging part... Of finding customers to do this for. But Alex was ready to find a solution. So I just thought I'd make a whole bunch of flyers and pass them out. So that's what I did. And a little help from some special friends, his parents. They helped me start my own uh, business page. And like that, they made a few posts for me. Well, bam, I had a first customer. So it works like that. Facebook, that's where Alex says he heard. A whole bunch of like, like comments of people saying, kids don't work hard these days. But he says that's not the case here. Does that make you feel pretty good to hear that you're working hard and like proving those people wrong? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. It does make me feel really good. And he's hoping other kids join in on his mission. There is kids that do work and that do do the things that 
people don't expect them to do. As for the future of Alex's mowing company, just getting more expansion. Finally, a treat for movie buffs. Take a listen to this sound effect from the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the part where Indiana Jones is trying to take control of a truck from the bad guys. It's called the Wilhelm Scream, and you've heard it in scores of movies when a character meets, well, a spectacular end. CBS's Jamie Yukas told the CBS Mornings crew the story of its origin. Free. From Star Wars <laughs> and Indiana Jones <laughs> to Toy Story. <laughs> Why is it that when a character meets an unfortunate end, <laughs> it seems like they often scream the same way? <laughs> That's because it is the same scream. Created for the 1951 movie Distant Drums, the sound effect was used repeatedly in other movies, back in the days when new effects were expensive to record. The Wilhelm scream got its name from 1953's The Charge at Feather River, in which Private Wilhelm took an arrow to his leg. But it wasn't until the late 70s that the goofy yelp, signaling sudden demise, got a new lease on life. A very small group of about three or four of us, we, we thought it was the corniest, funniest sound. Mark Mangini has two Oscars for sound design and a filmography as long as a book. His friend and colleague, Ben Burrett, revived the Willem scream by putting it in Star Wars in 1977. We thought this will be our Easter egg. So we always found a way to sneak it into a movie. And sneak it in, they did. So which movies did you pick and choose to put the Wilhelm scream in? Oh, many. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Gremlins, Anchorman, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Lethal Weapon 4, to name but a few. Uh, the Fifth Element. For Mangini and other movie buffs, finding the original tapes is a connection to a storied past. When you heard that the original was now found, what did you think? That's kind of my Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. Uh, a great treasure was found and unearthed and now can be shared with humanity. <laughs> it's comic and it's scary at the same time. Craig Smith, a researcher at CalArts, is the one who found that great treasure of a recording session after he was given boxes of tapes from USC's film school to archive, saving them from the trash. So how close were we to never finding this? Close calls all over the place. Nobody wanted it. Nobody cared about it. The discovery is an important piece of film history, a physical connection with a sound effect that's become movie lore. On that tape, you can hear the voice actor nailing it after a little direction. Oh! No, not, not an owl. A real scream of pain. One of six takes that the original recording offers. It's very unique. Midge Costin is a Hollywood sound editor and USC professor whose office is not far from the basement where that tape was stored for years. What's unique about the Willems? Well, it's funny, it's comical, you know, it's over the top. And usually it was done when somebody falls off like something really kind of scary because it's got that, whoa. Yeah, there's something it's very dramatic about it, you know. You use the Willem scream in so many of your movies. Mm. So can we check out a couple of them? Sure. This is Gremlins. Okay. Good. Here we go. Yep. See if you can spot it. All right. There it is. <laughs> it made you laugh, and you've now heard it a hundred times today. Yes. Okay, so Raiders of the Lost Ark is your favorite time that you use the Willem scream? Except for Star Wars. This is the next best. It's bold and... Okay. 
Let's hear Crowd. it. Here we go. Also so obvious. And you laughed again. <laughs> Do the scream. Ah! <laughs> That's really good. It's a fun scream, right? right? It feels good. It's yes. like venting, or if you got some frustration, try a Wilhelm. Ah! No, that's not very good. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so the next time you're in a movie theater, listen out for that distinctive yell. Ah! The famous scream you can never unhear. For CBS Mornings, I'm Jamie Yukis in Los Angeles. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. We want to hear from you. Please take our 10-minute survey and tell us what you think about this CBS News podcast. Visit cbsnews.com slash podcast dash survey, all lowercase, to take the survey. Again, that's cbsnews.com slash podcast dash survey. We appreciate your feedback and love your support. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen to Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more, Wondery means business. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.